0: You're listening to The Boss Business of Surgery Series podcast, episode 49. This is a replay of the Stop Hating Clinic webinar. There's lots of tips and tricks that I've learned over a few years of teaching surgeons how to like clinic a little bit more and be more successful in their career. If you want to make sure not to miss anything like free webinars and other information I offer, go to bosssurgery.com. Welcome surgeons. So I know I've been chatting with you guys already about hating clinic. And, you know, I really appreciate you spending the time because even though this is free, this is actually not free. If you think of the amount of time our time is worth, then you're paying with your time and your effort. And I appreciate that. You may have gotten here because you hate clinic or, you know, you're curious how I could potentially make what seems like impossible uh, better. And, you know, you may... And I suspect you're here because you believe it's possible. You believe it's possible that there's a part of your job that's uncomfortable and you don't like it and there might be a better way. And that belief, this thought that you've offered yourself that it may be possible to enjoy my job a little more is why you're here. And I think this is one way that I know that you're going to be successful is that you have you know, put forth the thought that this could maybe be better. And some of you may just know me and, and you know that I give quality advice or you haven't seen me in a while and want to say hi, that's okay too. <laughs> um, but really, I'm glad that you're here. So I want to talk about some of these things too, because, you know, there are aspects of our job that are frustrating, that we feel like we have no control over. So who am I? I am a general surgeon, a wife, mother, daughter, sister, private practice. Army veteran, and a surgeon coach. I've been doing this for a couple of years now, and I've seen a lot of problems that, that arise and have some solutions for it. Clinic is one of those things where it feels you know, like we have to do it. It's inevitable. There's no way to improve it. And you know, this is not necessarily an area that we spend a lot of time working, but that as a surgeon coach is one of the things that I do a lot. And, you know, I created the Boss Business of Surgery series a few years ago, and it has evolved into a series of courses, coaching, group coaching, and I want to help you learn and apply lessons that were not taught in residency. And But these are necessary for successful surgery, but any career, honestly. You know, what are some of the problems that you're having in clinic? Um, I have a whole slew of them, but I want you to kind of keep those things in mind. And you can type them in the chat box, or if you just want to, you know, think about them to yourself. But I think really being intentional, um, of what's you know, going through your mind is most helpful. And I um, posted in a couple of groups, give me the thoughts about hating clinic. And I really love that that uh, someone came up with the ABCs of clinic. And so surgery, there's the airy breathing and circulation. Well, the ABCs of clinic are, are from, I'm crediting Dr. Fatima Fahd of anything but clinic, which I thought was really <laughs> hilarious. Now I was, was always taught setting traps. Now, this is one of my uh, colleagues, Dr. AJ Copeland, I absolutely adore her. And she always called clinic setting traps, because that's how we get our cases. So again, when we think about the problems we're having in a clinic, I have a whole list of these two is when you look at the schedule, I mean, a lot of our problems start before clinic, we look at the schedule, and we think, why am I in clinic all the time? And I thought surgery by going to the OR. And you get this feeling of like I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't have to do this. I dread doing this. This is not what I was meant to be, you know, as a surgeon. And uh, interesting thing, I had a medical student say, "I didn't realize that surgeons wrote so many notes," <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. And that gets to one of the problems that we have. You know, clinic is a slog. No one's helping me. There's difficult patients. I have trouble getting in and out of the OR or in and out of the rooms with patients. The EMR is painful, and there's just so many notes. And it's not just the notes themselves. It's the information that we need to gather to make a a cohesive note is not there. The information we need to come up with a clear picture is not there. And if that's not enough, there's still notes to do after that. So that is probably the most challenging aspect that we have is before clinic, during it, and after it. I want to offer this idea that it's not what we're doing that's the problem. It's what we're thinking and feeling. If you think of the feelings that come up if you are someone who does not like clinic, there is this trap feeling, hopeless, frustrated, annoyed, dread, isolated, overwhelmed. Uh, I heard all kinds of, of emotions. There's more that I'll touch on. And so how do I know so much about clinic? Well, I finished residency in 2010, and I was very fortunate to, to have trained in the military because they let us you know, pretty much run clinics and you know by the time i was a chief i was actually running a pretty busy clinic and our attendings you know were around but they were not forefront they really let us lead the way and that was really helpful because i think the the best way that we learn is by um, experience and making mistakes and over time as i became an attending in the military we actually have a relatively low volume system. And so I had a lot of time to work on systems and processes and anyone who's been in the military um, is very similar to some of these bigger systems where you feel like there's not much that you could do, that things are fixed, that no one's there to help you. And even if you could, it would take, it would be too hard. Um, So there was a lot of things that I learned in clinic. So I adapted some habits that both helped and I adapted some habits that didn't help. Um, So we're definitely a product of our experience. And I think paying attention to what our experience is, is helpful. And I moved on from the military to an employed practice. And so I was employed by the hospital and the clinic staff was already set and they had some people come and go. And I thought when I went into the system that I would be in an environment where people helped me. And I thought that I'd be able to, you know, call some shots. And I thought that as a surgeon that my um, my opinion on staff and things happening uh, would matter. And that was very frustrating to me when it didn't actually work the way that I wanted. And I felt, and I've talked about this before, this was actually why I ended up leaving employed practice is that I was very frustrated with the clinic. It's not like it was terrible. It was not run by bad people, but... I could see myself complaining about the same things for the next 15 years and nothing changing. And so that is where I focused on, you know, all my discomfort was in the clinic. And I thought maybe if I just leave that and start a new private practice, that would help. And it actually has, but I can look back now and see a lot of the experiences that I had that, you know, I could have actually improved things a little bit more than I had. The mind shift that I had, you know, if you think of the narrative that I just mentioned, the fact that I was in, you know, thought for 15 years, that nothing would ever change. Um, I mean, that's a very trapped feeling and isolated and hopeless. And I kind of felt trapped in that. And so a mind shift that happened was, you know, I left that circumstance, but I went to an environment where I didn't feel trapped and i knew that i wasn't trapped because i had to to start it from scratch i had to do it all over and create it all myself and you know that feeling of not not being trapped Allowed me to be open to new solutions because I knew that it was possible for me to to find some new solutions, and that allowed me to to feel more in control. Which you know, ironically, lets you act more in control. And a lot of it comes from the original mindset that you have in the first place is recognizing that you have the ability to change your mind about what was happening. So fast forward to today, uh, I've now been a private practice for about two years, and the schedule is manageable. You know. I don't stress that it's going to be overwhelming. You know, I have trained my staff to say, you know, certain patients take a certain amount of time and not to overbook it possible. And sometimes fitting in cases or um, clinic appointments that I know are going to be less stress in between some that may be longer. And I learned how to use the people around me more and I hired more and I really wanted people to work at the top of their license and I hired a nurse practitioner and I've actually made money in that process. And so those are some of the things that I used to uh, change my environment is hiring the right people. I've learned a lot and we're going to talk about that as well, about delegating tasks and things like that. And this is probably the biggest mistake that I made in clinic was my interactions with other people and how I could have actually improved that much more than um, than I had in the past. And finishing tasks in a reasonable amount of time, these this is probably the most important thing that I think that we are doing wrong is you know finishing tasks in a reasonable amount of time. And so the goal of having notes done in clinic or shortly thereafter and plans for a follow-up. And so there was a time when I first started and before I got the systems in place where I watched an entire season of Schitt's Creek in one day, because I was that behind in notes. We had a podcast episode, I think it was Bradley Block, um, where we're talking about notes being gases, You know, they fill the space we give it. So there were certainly problems in that strategy as well. What I want for you is to have the ability to identify the problems that you're having in clinic. And because we can't fix a problem that we don't know you have. I mean, if you don't know you have the problem, obviously you're not gonna be able to find a solution for it. And approaching clinic with confidence, And looking at the schedule, knowing that's not a problem. I've got this. I may have some challenging patients on here, but I know how to manage those. And really dialing down the dread that you have before clinic and entering that clinic, having confidence and getting out, um, having accomplished what you wanted. And then after clinic, finishing your tasks in a reasonable amount of time. So you can spend your time on the rest of your life, not doing these endless tasks, because you're really... This is all unpaid time afterwards. We are paid for the visits and we are not paid for all this time afterwards. There's a lot of coaching principles that I'm going to add in here too, which is, you know, what does coaching do? Coaching, the coaching that I've offered focuses more on thoughts and emotions and actions obviously follow this, but it's not telling you what to do. You can find any list of things of people telling you what to do to make your life better. That's not actually the problem. The problem is what, what we're thinking. And the problem is how we're feeling when we approach these situations. And so that's kind of where I want to lead in this presentation. I know we only have an hour together, but I wanted to make sure to offer as many thoughts and emotions and strategies that can help. So there will be some action line coaching here too. But at the most part, I want to make sure to give you to start thinking in a different way. That's what's important. You already have all the tools that you need. It's not about taking action. It's learning along the way. You don't know the answers yet. I don't know the answers for you yet. These are things that you have to get curious about. And then you have to learn the strategies to negotiate what you want. And not just with patience and with administration, but really learn to negotiate yourself and see where you need something and how you can convince yourself to do something in a way that's a positive experience. And then mastering the skills that are needed. You have all of these tools already. You just have to find a way to unlock them. I'm going to start with problems. I had them numbered, but I may have mentioned I have a great partner. She's amazing. She's the blackest of black clouds. I've been up for two nights in a row. So my slides are a little bit rough. So I deleted the numbers because it was going to be out of order. And we're just going to go by problems. (laughs) So the first problem I don't know what the problem is. This is perhaps the most frustrating part is not knowing where to go and if you can imagine i wouldn't when we have these problems i want to start embracing the idea of how you might feel i know that sounds very touchy-feely for a a surgeon but hear me out on this one what are the feelings that come up when you don't know what the problem is i don't like this situation that i'm in and i don't know what the problem is these are some of the things that come up for me overwhelm confusion frustration, resentful, burned out. overwhelmed, is one of those indulgent emotions. It doesn't give you any direction. It's just looking at a pile of amorphous stuff and I don't know what to do. Coming into a, a clinic situation and I don't know where to start. There's no direction. It doesn't offer you anything. And it comes from this idea of I don't know what to do and confused, meaning I, I'm going to go in a bunch of different directions. I'm not sure which way to go. And frustrated means, you know, I had this idea that I should be able to do this. Why shouldn't I be able to do this? And resentful of the idea of like, someone should be doing this for me. Why aren't they helping me? And then burned out, is kind of a culmination of these things. Like, I just can't do this anymore. You know, burnout is just like, fuel's gone, can't do it, I'm out. Whenever you're feeling overwhelmed, the best thing to do is to pay attention And this is what I teach folks that I coach all the time, is to start hearing the the language of their emotions and the thoughts that are behind them. And so first is you don't know where your problem is until you know where your problem is. So paying attention to before, during, and after clinic. Where is the most discomfort? Are you relatively oblivious to clinic before you get there? Or do you have this overwhelming sense of dread? How do you feel about this? Are you worried about this? Do you look at the clinic schedule and have lots of thoughts about something? Is there a patient that you see on there? And some of the thoughts that come up that I've seen are, I don't know what to do for this patient. I don't know how to help them. They're going to ask me questions. This is a person who talks a lot. I'm not going to be able to get out of this room. And if you see all these thoughts that come up, now you can see why it's hard to go to clinic. You've already started clinic hours before clinic even started. No wonder you're tired and frustrated. And it's usually from this energy of, I don't know what to do. And so you're already spinning, trying to find a solution without a direction. The next is, now you're in clinic, especially if you've had a hyped up sense beforehand. Now in clinic, you hit the ground already tired, already frustrated, already feeling behind, frazzled, overwhelmed. And then if your clinic is set up for you, or you haven't managed it, you may actually be overwhelmed, double booked, triple booked, procedure coming in, um, the OR is calling, you have to fit this in, or you have split days, meaning that I've got to finish clinic to go to the OR, or I'm coming back to clinic from the OR. And after clinic, what are you doing after clinic? Are you saving all of your tasks to the end? All the things that you could have been doing during clinic. Do you feel like you don't have time to do it and you can't do it? So are you saving it to after clinic? This is this point of clarity is so important. This can be, you know, a month-long course in itself of just being able to diagnose what is the problem. And there's power in clarity. There's power in seeing exactly where the problem is. This exercise is not trivial. It's probably the most important aspect there is. So now that you have an idea of where your problems are, maybe all of them, maybe it's everything, (laughs) I want to point to, I think the most common problem that I think that we all have is that you don't know how much time things take. And if I were to ask you right now, looking at your clinic schedule, how many hours are you in clinic? And I could tell you tomorrow I have nine to, um, my clinic starts at nine and I think I end at like 1130. And then there's a break. And then I have a couple of patients, um, in the afternoon. So if you ask me how, how long is my clinic? I'll say like nine to 1130 or nine to 12. Let's keep it simple. Nine to 12. I mean, is that even true? Like if I think of all the tasks that are involved in clinic, our clinic is hour beforehand, maybe depends on who is doing the, the pre- clinic uh, prep work, if your medical assistant's doing a lot of that work, if you're doing it all yourself, if someone's not helping, or if no one's helping you gather that information, you know, your clinic could be at least an hour beforehand. And if you save your notes to the end, or you have to check up on some images, you have to call people, then your clinic could be hours afterwards. You know, I have had last Thursday it happened. I had a relatively simple clinic and I thought, okay, there's no problem. I should have my notes all done. Well, it, it's almost a little self sabotage is that I felt relaxed and like, oh, there's no problem. I'm going to have my notes gonna be done. This would be so easy. I think I'll answer all these five questions. I'm going to do this other thing that I wanted to do. And then before you know it, it's four o'clock and I have not done all of my notes on a short clinic date. I was very frustrated with myself. And what it was is I did not give myself credit for how much time things take. And if you look at your schedule, does it look like this phone here to where there may be little white spaces in there and you have booked yourself solid and you have not really given credit to the amount of time that these tasks take. And so if you imagine here's your phone and your calendar and every block is filled, where are you gonna put these notes? Where are you going to put these follow-ups? Where are you going to put talking to the staff and asking how can we optimize this? Where are you going to put some space to find times to optimize? Where are you going to find these templates that are going to help you be faster the next time? Everything takes time. The biggest problem that we have is our schedule looks like this. And what happens we're overwhelmed, we're frustrated. We may feel insecure because now we don't know exactly why we can't get it done. We're resentful because we feel like no one's helping us. Hopeless because today looks like this and so does tomorrow. And fearful of saying, how can I do this? How can I do this? How can I do this? I wrote an article about physicians needing growth days. And a lot of times when you first start taking growth days, you start realizing a lot of times it is catching up on tasks. But there's something to be said for leaving a little bit of room for those tasks. And especially as you elevate in your career, you have to have more of these administrative days, these administrative times, and not just for doing tasks, but to finding ways to strategize and make your life easier and make you happier that you're doing it. And so I encourage you to look up that article, Physicians Need Growth Days, And look and and make sure that you're giving yourself some time because if your clinic schedule and your schedule in general looks like this, this is a natural progression from that. And the problem is, is that we don't value those pockets of time. You know, we'll fill a case in. We don't understand how to use administrative days. So we fill it with tasks that we think are high value and they usually not. And asking yourself, when I put something in this spot, is this useful energy? Is this monetary generating? Is this time and effort generating for me? And really putting in high quality spaces in there that are protected time and really figuring out, am I making good use of my time? I find what's most helpful is if you plan ahead and say, these are the things that I want to accomplish and not just, I'm going to spend four hours doing whatever in four hours I'm going to work on my templates and I'm going to have at least five an hour templates done. Something like that. Giving yourself direction. And that is the whole goal of this is to stop feeling like you're living in default and start being the leader of your time and the leader of your schedule. Moving on to the next problem. This was a problem that I had myself, doing everything yourself. And this was a natural segue from that last problem Because if you don't give yourself administrative time, the problem is, is that you don't know how to get people to help you. You end up doing everything yourself because you don't have enough time to show anyone or you've made some efforts to show someone and they haven't done it, which then makes you feel like that's it. I give up. I can't do it. And so what happens is you end up doing everything yourself. And we all know what that's like because we've been there. And what's the problem with doing everything yourself? Because you think, well, I can do it faster. I mean, that's absolutely true. You know, I can do things a lot faster than some of the people around me. But the problem is you're setting the tone. If you're leading the team and you're not leading them, you're doing them all yourself, you're rendering them ineffective. But we're not really taught leadership skills. And, you know, they're actually looking to us for direction. You know, we think that they're not, but they really are. And then we tell ourselves, well, I'm not in charge. But that's actually not true. You know, training devalues us. We as attending physicians have finished college. That puts in a small percentage of the population. We finished medical, we got accepted in medical school first and then finished. Very, very small percentage of the population. We entered into a specialty, surgical or otherwise, maybe even a fellowship. We are at the highest echelons in society with the amount of training that we have invested in ourselves, And yet we think, I'm not in charge. Someone else has gotta be leading me. I can't be doing this. And we don't understand exactly how all this works. And so then we have this feeling that everyone's out to get us. The administration is the enemy. And we're not taught negotiating skills, both internally or with other people and with administration and with patients. And then the follow through, you know, we treat everyone like they're like us. We think we're going to delegate something to someone and they're going to get it and they're going to do it just like us with as much effort and interest as us. And the problem is it's not reasonable. They aren't us. If they were us, they would be physicians too. We think that they're going to understand and remember one and done is not a thing when you're teaching someone. Not true for us. And it's not true for someone that we'll work with. I like this um, this is Karen Crabtree. She shared this um, there with our business coaching last week where she talked about tell, show and do. And so and I added some my own uh, notes here. when we are having someone do something for us, we should tell them what to do and how to do it. And better yet, with all of these high quality things that we do, we can make a video of it. We can, you know do screenshots of it. We can do a Zoom video from it just like this and finding a way to tell them how to do it and then show them how to do it. This is how I do it and demonstrate your thought process you go through. And then you say, now let's do this together. I want you to do it. I'm going to watch. And so we do it with them. And so we can share our thoughts, processes, and we can see theirs. Everyone thinks a little bit differently than us. And I think it's recognizing that we can tell them exactly what to do. And that's been my most frustrating thing. I told you exactly what to do. I have done detailed Word documents and screenshots and still been frustrated when things don't work. And it's because I don't know what they're thinking. I've delegated tasks and I've delegated things to do, but I've not delegated my thought process, why it matters. I haven't asked them what their thought process is or asked them, you know, what is their holdup with this? And once we do that and we feel confident about it, it's absolutely necessary to follow up. And this is another pitfall that I have done myself is you want to follow up with the person who's doing it. You know, if you have a medical assistant who is doing something for you and you've showed them how to do it and you've worked with them and you've done through the process, the mistake you may make is going to the office manager and saying they're not doing it. Now, there may be a point where you've tried everything and it's not working maybe it's appropriate to do so but a lot of times that i've done this many times myself is go to the office manager because i figured they'll fix it and the problem is is that you're now adding a middleman to this and it becomes then a game of telephone so i tell them i wanted them to pull these these you know reports and they're not in the chart and i've done everything I tell this to the office manager then goes to the MAG, she's saying you're not doing your job. She's saying that you are just terrible at this. <laughs> and that's, that's what happens is that the message gets muddied along um, the pathways of that too. So whenever possible, avoiding the middleman. And if you really do need someone above, maybe bringing them together so there's no messages that get mixed up because this is the kind of of pitfall that breeds resentment in a team, because then since you've now introduced this third party who is often not there, now you're interacting with someone who now thinks that you think they don't know how to do their job. This is a big problem. And I'll put this last concept on here because I think, you know, and I put it with lots of asterisks because if you understand this concept, this is going to help you in everything in work for you and for delegating and working with other people. Everybody is working towards mastery and recognition. We all want to be good at our jobs. Now, that's why we went for training for so long. That's why we spend the hours that we do. That's why we make the sacrifices what we do, that we do. We want to be good at our job. And that's something we can control. We also want to be recognized for what we do. I mean, everyone has an inherent need to belong to a group, to be valued part of the group. This is just an inherent human nature. This is not people pleasing. This is not a pathologic thing. This is an inherent human need. So if you think of the fact, you know, we can usually access to us like, oh, I understand. I want to be good at this. I want people to see this. That's normal. You know, but we forget that other people are seeking that as well. That medical assistant that we're working with wants to be a master of their job. They want to be good at it, which means you need to give them tasks that they could be good at. So it's very important to allow them to be masters. And we are actually in control of that. We accidentally withhold that from them when we fail to delegate. We think we're helping. We think we're not bothering them. We think that you know they're already busy or maybe they don't know. Or maybe we may overwhelm them. You know, we get through all these things and what we're actually doing is robbing them of mastery. And you can imagine that we're also robbing them of recognition because if we don't let them do their job and there's nothing to recognize. And if we do things that sabotage that recognition, like, you know, well-meaning, say, hey, can you help me out and do this, Um, you know, help me with this M.A.? then we're also robbing them the recognition. We're doing the exact opposite of that. We're telling them they're not good at their job. We're telling them that what they're doing is not worth it. And so this is a big pitfall in delegation. That's why it's very important to both delegate and do it the right way that empowers all of you. We'll shift to another problem. Patience going on and on. And on, and you know, and what do they call these, like the, the doorknob complaints? You're talking to them and all of a sudden, hands on the doorknob, oh, and then I had this, you know. Or they launch in a story about their grandmother's dog, things like that. You know, the problem is, is a lot of people don't know how to get in and out of rooms. And so, especially, you may even build up this dread ahead of time. This may be like a non-specific complaint that you know is gonna take a long time, and you haven't booked it in that timeframe. Or it could be a patient, you know, that talks a lot. And, or if you're just not sure and you're worried that the patient's going to go on and on and on. So you have this dread and feel exhaustion even before you start. And so when a patient goes on and on and on, it's not recognizing that this is a boundary issue. You know, there's a limited amount of time. They're here for this period of time. This is their clinic visit. And that because it's a limited amount of time, there's boundaries around that. And what helps us in anything is to plan ahead of time is for us to decide. Remember, this is our, our clinic visit, and my goals for this visit is to do these things. And so with the boundary, you have to know what that boundary is. And then making sure to communicate this. You don't always have to necessarily communicate with patients. They know how long their appointment is, typically, but you know, there's there's this general idea that with the appointment it's communicated. And then we want to uh, know what we're going to do if that's, that's violated. It's like, what am I going to do if this patient goes on and on and on, goes beyond the clinic visit? Is deciding ahead of time what's going to do. I'm going to make an excuse. I'm going to try some of these um, techniques I'm about to tell you and, you know, figure out if you violate this time, I'm going to do this and then follow through is actually, you know, you are the leader there. We think that we're trying to help, but if we're not leading the, um, clinic visit, we are gonna be in rooms for a long period of time. And anytime in a negotiation, because this boundary issue then turns into negotiation, how are we negotiating, navigating around this boundary, is first deciding, what do you want? What do we as doctors want? We as doctors want to find out the patient's problem and then offer a solution. And then what do they want? They want us to find out their problem and offer a solution, <laughs> we both want the same thing. But it doesn't, I mean, when you boil it down to the basics, it's much more simple. And so first is knowing what each of the parties want. And so now I want you kind of go into this idea of, what are the feelings that you're having when this patient is going on and on? Like you're in this clinic visit, can you start to articulate some of the feelings that are coming up for you? Feeling frustrated, feeling like I can't control this, feeling trapped. Now I'm getting angry, I'm frustrated and confused. And it's adding to the overwhelm because I've got all these patients waiting. And this person keeps going on and on. And so you can kind of see where we start ramping all uh, our emotions up. And then let's look and see how the patient's feeling. They're feeling anxious, scared. You know, maybe they're encouraged because they really want to know things from us. Like, finally, I have a doctor who's listening to me. You know, so not all of these are, are negative. They may be frustrated too and frustrated because maybe they don't know what's going on. Maybe they're you know projecting from other things that happened to them. They feel out of control. they feel trapped and angry and frustrated. And so knowing that we have two people in there with all of our own thoughts and emotions, when truly we usually just want the same thing, but we the way we're going about it is hurting us. And so what to do? And thinking about, If every feeling that we have is driven by a thought, I just kind of put some examples of some thoughts that come up. When we're sitting there and feeling frustrated, what's the thought that comes up? They do not know how to stop talking. I don't know how to get them to stop talking. You know, if I'm feeling out of control, like how do I get them to stop? Nothing, I I can't fix this. And trapped is I can't leave this room or typically leading into this idea of what they're gonna think about us if we try to leave the room. You know, angry because it's just another reason why I can't ever get what I want. And anger is usually a secondary emotion. It's usually the accelerant on another emotion. But certainly we can get to that point when all these emotions build up over time. We can be confused. I don't know why this keeps happening. You know, I go in there and I keep talking, but they keep talking and, you know, I don't know how to get out of it. And people pleasing is just like, if I don't listen to everything they say, they're not going to like me. Maybe they're frustrated. We feel like we have to sit there and overcome their emotion. And it's important to understand what emotions are. They're emotions that we feel. We feel. We cannot make anyone feel something. We think that we can. It's kind of like we think we can make people do stuff. But we can't make anyone feel something. All that we can do is create an environment where they could feel that way. So someone can come to us frustrated because no one knows what the problem is. And you know that may be true. We may not know what the problem is. And so we can understand their frustration, um, but we don't have to stay in the room and keep talking to them to make them feel a different way. We can create the environment that allows them to potentially not be frustrated, but at some point we have to decide where our boundary is and enforce it. And we may feel insecure especially new attending. I don't know what's wrong with them. Maybe I'll let them go on and on and on. So they'll make me look like I'm doing something. No. So there's certainly a lot of things that, and this is why it's hard to have a one size fits all approach to this is that there's so many things going on in our head and in their head. And as long as we are both stuck in our head, we are never going to come to any kind of good uh, solution for a common problem that we both want the solution to. So I find this very helpful. This is um, a lot from Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference, um, and and the podcast where Bradley Block and I talk about the question behind the question. And I added a few other things too. So if we already have an idea of how a patient is feeling, Chris Voss talks about labeling the feeling. Sounds like you're frustrated. I get you're frustrated. No one really knows what's going on. Why don't we try this? That is acknowledging their feelings, neutralizing it, and then providing a direction. Because what happens, especially with these indulgent emotions, there is no direction. So you label it, neutralize it, and give it a direction. I get that you're angry, that you waited. I'm frustrated too. I would want to be on time. I understand how you're feeling. But we do have this time together. Why don't we spend this finishing the problem? Those are ways to approach and because really, they don't know how to manage their emotions either. You know, they're feeling lots of wars because they want you to give them a different feeling. They don't know that they are the ones that's controlling that feeling. So we help them out. And the question behind the question is helpful. And so, for example, I deal with a lot of breast pain, I also do breast cancer. And it took me a little while to realize many of the people that are coming with breast pain, they just want to know that it's not cancer. And so once I knew what the most common question behind the question was, I just started answering it. And I started telling him or telling them, I don't think this is cancer. And I get that you have symptoms, but here's what we're going to do. And then there's leading the witness. Love this because We already, I mean, especially if you've been in for a while, you already kind of know the natural progression of some of these things. And so I call this leading the witness, but really um, I was actually um, coaching with someone earlier and there's a different strategy to this. We start off the clinic visit with open-ended questions. We want to get them talking. And at once we get to a point where we kind of know where this is going, we turn this open-ended question into multiple choice. And I find, especially when you have a situation where you're not exactly sure what's going on, I always like to put it into three buckets and I tell them, it's like, I heard all the things you've said, you know, I get that you're frustrated, You're know, labeling it. And, you know, I don't think there's anything harmful going on, but let me just tell you how I problem solve. First, we all want to know what the problem is. Every, I want that, you want that, we all want that. And if we don't know what the problem is, our next step is, is it harmful? Is someone going to be hurt by this? You know, are we missing something dangerous? And if we've done our due diligence and it's not dangerous, then we start working on the symptoms and the symptoms may actually lead us to the problem. And so that's how we go about this. What is it? And if we don't know, is it harmful? And it's not. We work through the symptoms. And Every step of the way, I want you to pay attention to your symptoms and what makes them better, and you let me know, and we can schedule a follow-up, but that's where we're at right now. We're at the symptoms part, but we don't know, but it's not harmful. Let's just work on this. That's going to get you out of a room faster. Leading the witness is also something helpful. If you have, for example, rectus diastasis, someone comes in and they say they have a large hernia, and I ask one question, have you ever had abdominal surgery before? and They say, no. I was like, I don't even need to look. It is rectus diastasis, things like that. And, you know, when you can predict what their symptoms are, and this happens a lot with pain too, musculoskeletal pain saying, does it, is it really sharp and kind of catches like that? But even when it's not, it's like a dull throbbing kind of pain. Oh yeah. And, you know, does heat maybe make it better? Oh, how did you know that? You know, if you start predicting these things, you start leading them to, you know, both coming to the same conclusion that you do, but also establishing authority as you go along. And so that really helps when you know what the actual, um, you know, uh, what their problem probably is and then enforcing boundaries. And sometimes you just have to just cut them off and and labeling again is a good time to do this. Like, I am so glad that you came in. It means a lot. I really actually do have to go, but it means a lot that you're here. I appreciate all your enthusiasm and it means a lot, but I'm going to go. And that's enforcing the boundaries in in a kind and open way. So this idea that notes are never done and isn't that the truth? There is actually like big programs on figuring out (laughs) how to get notes done. We don't give them enough time. And so We can get frustrated that the EMRs take a long time. We can, you know, rail against the system. And we can also look and see like, where am I contributing to this? Is it my perfectionism? Do I want the perfect note? Am I afraid to save this note because now it's out into the world? You know, am I afraid that I'm missing something? You know, and and especially if you're insecure and you're missing something, it's never gonna be enough. So those are some of the things to keep in mind. I already mentioned some of these before. So we feel like clinic is over, never done. Everyone's gone. You're still there. That's where I know I have a lot of resentment. And this is where a lot of my buffering came in. And we talked about being perfect. What are they going to think? What if I get sued? A lot of fear um, involved. But buffering is something that I always do. At the end of clinic and everybody's gone, I will turn over this office like a crack addict looking for candy. It's just, you know, because we don't want to sit down and do it. We're trying to avoid that uncomfortable feeling. Um, and I have had many variations of this too. And a lot of times it's just overwhelm. And this, this, you know, like a Vegas lights sign in my head of going, I just don't want to do this. I'm done. I'm tired. I don't care. Um, and those are the times where. I try to make myself do it and try to white knuckle through it. And sometimes I learned just to say, stop. I mean, it's not good quality time. And then what I started doing is instead of adding that time onto the end of the clinic is finding ways to build them into the visit. And I've helped had my office staff help get things ahead of time. And so I trained my MA to pull these reports and not just pull them, but pull them into the note too. So she found a way to do that. And then I take my computer into the room with me now and I type, even if it's terrible, at least I get something down. And then in days that are really, really busy, they usually put the post-it note of vitals and at least write what needs to be done. And so I have a lot of reassurance. that I'm not going to forget the important things. So I make a quick note to myself and then my desk just has a bunch of post-it notes here too. And then I sit down and I focus and I try to get them done. And most recently I hired better. So I hired a nurse practitioner and she actually sees the patient. I walk in, I do the doctor stuff and I leave. That has been the best solution so far. So when I co-sign like 29 notes, I'm thinking those are 29 notes that I did not have to write. That's been my ultimate solution. And, you know, I don't have numbers to support this, but um, in me personally, my nurse practitioner has actually saved me money over time and she has certainly saved time and she's doubled my clinic. And she's allowed me to do more of the things that are surgeon-like and really minimizing the time that we're doing tasks that are not meant for surgeons or family practitioners or hospitalists, you know, really taking the time to do things that are the type of our license, because, you know, we really do need to be doing the high quality work. And, you know, not getting paid for what you're doing. Honestly, like at the end of the note, for me, the hardest part is coding and, I have taken EM university. I have taken the Karen Subka course twice. I have bought numerous books. And this still is the most stressful part for me. And for me, the problems are the rules are always changing. 2021 guidelines changed how we did ENM. 2023 is about to come out that's going to change it even more. It's supposed to make it more simple. Now, don't worry, it's built by time. And my question is: who's time? Time to hit the door, time to end. Is it time in the room? Is it time doing stuff? Is it, you know, what about the student time? Do I need to subtract that? So it makes my head hurt. The rules are always changing. And what, the, what are the problems? You know, when our choices are you get underpaid, so you don't get paid for what you're worth, or you commit fraud, but they can come back and take your money. You know, that's what stresses me out at the end. And then what do I need to document to get it? Is it even worth it? I ask myself all the time, am I just adding too much? Like, is $20 that much? I have no idea what the differences are. Like, but is this, is it worth it this much? I'll just undercoat it and just not worry about it anymore. And I've done that so many times on a busy clinic as I've really sold myself short in days when I've really worked the hardest just because I don't want to deal with this. Someone brought this up too. And I think then we add this complexity of ratings. So now not only are we worried about it internally, but we now have this external recognition of, you know, really empowering people to feed into the harmful aspects that we have. Now, this is, I think this may be my last point. Um, It's when you're in a difficult system, in any system, actually, I've evolved to talk about the rules. So. what are the rules rules are things like these are just the way it is you know kaiser has these blocks that's the way it is the military has this way of going that's the rules you know knowing what the rules of your um, organization are are at least helpful because now at least you know what to do now you know to deal with and when you have something like rules that you're fighting up against understanding you have a few choices so now that you know them Now that you've listed what the rules are, you could start to question them. Are these actually rules? You know, I can resist them. No, no, no. I don't want these, even though they keep telling me this, you know, even though they keep triple booking me, all these things, you can resist them and add a lot of extra energy to them. You know, you don't necessarily change things because of the rules. So you resist them. You can accept them and not add any more to it. I can accept this and say, well, this is a suboptimal system. I'm just going to do what I can do. That doesn't add any more to it It doesn't necessarily get you to a great place you can just resign yourself and that's that's not accepting it move on that's a that's it i give up you know that's defeat you can better understand them why are they the rules and once you better understand them then you may be in a position to change them Um, and it's only with that process of being open to hearing more about it and building that relationship with your administration and building that relationship with everyone along the system and understanding why some of these things are the rules. That is really the only way to change them. Marching into someone's office and saying, this is gonna have to to be changed, won't work. You have to be smarter than that. You may be wondering, how is all this gonna help me? I hope that you found a lot of usefulness in this. You know, and you can see when you focus on the idea that it is the thought process behind it. It's the feelings behind it. Then you realize why some of these action advice things don't work. People tell me, well, I did this and I did, well, all you have to do is do templates. All you have to do this. You really do have to understand the thought process that's going behind it, the thoughts, the emotions that you're having and really understanding them and modifying them and you know, uncovering them and really realizing, how did I get to this point? that's how you're gonna start making some changes because now you're gonna be coming to the administration, coming to your office manager and coming to your MA from a clean place, an empowering place, something that brings you guys together and not separates you apart. And that's how you establish your leadership, which you already have, it's already within you. And that was my point from the very beginning. All of this stuff is already within you. And so I would just recommend being on the boss, uh, boss surgery.com email list, and I will send out those details. If this is something that's interesting to you. Otherwise, listen to the podcast, reach out to me, boss surgery.com. You could sign up for individual sessions if you want, and you know, reach out to me. Let me know how I can help you. Anyway, I hope that you all enjoyed this. Um, I don't want to keep you any longer because I've already gotten a couple calls because it's just been that kind of week. Um, but reach out to me, bosssurgery.com. It has my email there as well, which is drvertrees at gmail.com. Reach out to me, share anything that you may be struggling with. I'm definitely interested in your feedback. Did you learn anything from this? Did it help? There's also the Boss Business of Surgery Series Facebook group. That also is a way for you to share information, learn information that I offer here And really, the goal behind this all is I want to improve medicine. I want to change everything. Um, I want us to change medicine by the simple things that we do. And I want your help to do it. So you let me know how I could help, and we'll work together. Thank you all. I appreciate you being here. For more information on the BOSS Business of Surgery series, go to bosssurgery.com.